Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week as we continue our discussion of the five components of the total return and how you can prioritize any one of those elements and then look to optimize the balance of the return. And today, we're going to be talking about stability, the total return stability component. Multifamily real estate inherently has a stable environment, much like the issues we talked about last week regarding security. Those items give us a bond-like stability in a multifamily investment and significantly less volatility than stocks. This week, we're going to talk about how we maximize that stability component as part of the total return. As always, please do not hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Swing by the Learning Center and check out what we've got going on there. In particular, I would invite you to visit the webinar section of the Learning Center where you can register for our upcoming session on March uh, 31st entitled The Recovery 2021. We're going to be discussing uh, when we think the recovery is going to begin in earnest Uh, how robust it might be, what are some of the drivers behind it, and more importantly, what that's going to mean to the multifamily space in general and what it might mean for your particular investments, whether you're uh, building your own portfolio, invested with other sponsors, or whether you have an investment with uh, Marpoling or possibly all three. All right, so let's get to this component about stability. Now, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about the five elements that make up what we consider to be a total return. And, and this, we think, is a great way to look at a multifamily investment. Every investment is going to be structured a little differently, and some are going to prioritize different elements within the total return. But all five of these will be there, and it's a good way to score a investment. And I think a helpful way for everyone to think about investing in multifamily so that you can come up with a target for this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the maximization of cash flow, or I'm looking for the maximization of security of my principal. And again, it is security, stability, uh, cash flow, or income uh, generation, equity growth, or wealth creation, and uh, tax advantages. Those are the five components. We talked last week about security. This week, we're going to talk about stability. So if you've been listening for any length of time or watched uh, almost any of our content on uh, the Learning Center at marapolling.com, you are familiar with our um, analysis that says multifamily real estate is stable like a bond. So compared to uh, 10-year treasuries, uh, using that as a baseline, uh, multifamily real estate looks like corporate and government bonds in terms of its stability. And that's about one-third as volatile as stocks. So that's a, that's a good thing, right? Um, we certainly think it is. Now, 
Let's talk a little bit more about that term I just used, stability, and the other one, which is uh, essentially the inverse of it, or at least implied to be the inverse of it, uh, which is volatility. What we're actually talking about here is the amount of movement that takes place over any given period of time in values. And bonds, as I think everyone would agree and shouldn't be surprised, bonds are really stable, meaning over time and over longer periods of time, probably even more stable, bonds don't move a lot. They don't go up in value drastically. Uh, it, it is rare that you could buy a bond and then have it double in value within just a short period of time. There probably are some bonds out there like that, uh, maybe more in the junk category, if that's still a term that we use. Um, so there might be some investments like that, but the overwhelming majority of bond investments are very stable, slow and steady. Again, compared to a 10-year treasury, they're going to look an awful lot like a 10-year treasury, just a little more movement than a 10-year treasury has. A stock, on the other hand, is going to have a lot more movement. Now, the, the way it's phrased, right, stability or volatility, implies that a lot of volatility or a lot of movement is a bad thing. And certainly, if you buy a share of stock at $100 and it goes down to 50 the next day and then it goes back up to 100 and then it goes down to 50 and it's constantly moving like that, um, yeah, not only is that unnerving, <laughs> maybe, to have that much movement, um, but what I just described is movement that would be in the wrong direction. Now, the same level of volatility would be measured if it actually moved in the opposite direction, right? So if you bought a share of stock at $100 and it went to 150 and then it pulled back to 100 and then it went back to 150 and it ping-ponged back and forth between those two elements, well, you're going to see essentially the same kind of volatility, the same kind of movement over time, which is a lot more movement than you're going to see in a 10-year treasury and about, as I said, about three times the movement that you would see in a bond in that same given period of time. But I think most folks would say, oh, if it's, if it's moving to the positive side, well, that's actually a good thing. I like that. And so there is no value, and I don't mean value as in dollar sign, I mean value as in a value uh, judgment that we might assess to it. There is no value inherent in something being stable or volatile uh, in this uh, definition, the way that we're using it. It simply talks about movement. And so uh, if you want, we could use the terms that bonds have relatively small amount of movement over time, whereas stocks have a lot more movement over time. And that's essentially what these studies have borne out, right? That's what's being looked at. So when I look at the total return, why would I want to prioritize stability? Why would I want to do anything to make uh, my investment not move much. Well, if what I'm doing is investing really critical long-term dollars, right? So in my capital stack, and I always like to think of this as a pyramid, right? 
if in my capital stack I have some dollars that are uh, high-growth speculative dollars, these are dollars that I'm willing to lose uh, in order to get a really substantial return. So I have some of those dollars. I've got some other dollars that maybe are shorter-term dollars. These are dollars that I might want to use in the next two or three or four years. Uh, maybe I, I'm going to take a vacation or I have a, uh, a child or someone I'm going to help uh, buy a home or uh, go to college, and I want this, these dollars, right? So I need those to be really stable Maybe I've got another batch that are about these are investments that need to generate cash for me in order to uh, take care of my needs in retirement. And while I don't want to lose those dollars, I also really need a cash component. So I've got some of those. But somewhere in my capital stack, and I think this is probably true for everyone, and it's certainly been our experience when we talk to clients, everyone has some money that they just don't ever want to lose. Uh, I've worked real hard for it. I've, I've, uh, uh, it's the result of my entire career. Maybe it includes some money that I inherited from a family member who worked their whole life uh, for it and entrusted it to me uh, at their passing, and I feel a real responsibility to take care of it. Those are dollars that I'm really going to look for a secure and stable uh, investment uh, environment. And so that might be the reason that I'm really interested in an investment that isn't going to move a lot, right? That's, that's going to have a very slow and methodical uh, progression, hopefully to the positive, right? Just like you would hope your stock goes up. Um, but I'm not looking for it to happen really quickly, right? So I'm not looking for that kind of hit it out of the park uh, kind of uh, movement. And... I don't, and probably this is the more important piece, I don't want to have to watch it every single day and, one, be worried about it. Gee, how much did it go up or go down by today? And, two, I don't want to have to think about timing the market when it comes time for me to access those dollars. If I invest in an investment that has a lot of movement to it, then when it comes time for me to utilize some of those dollars, I potentially am going to be drawing them out at less than an optimum time. And I might have to play a game of trying to time when's the right time to pull it out. And that stock I said that maybe ping pongs between 100 and 150 will pull it out at 150. Okay, so I pull it out at 150, but what if it was going to keep going and go to 200? I'm constantly second-guessing myself when there's a lot of movement in an investment. Whereas if I was invested in a bond, it's a lot more stable, and I can really make some very solid plans, right? And so those kinds of dollars are the dollars that really are looking to prioritize stability. And multifamily absolutely fits into that space. Now, can you invest in multifamily in a way in which you prioritize other elements of the uh, total return where you prioritize cash flow and you give up some stability? Absolutely, you can do that. And so that's what I want to talk about now is how do you do that? How can you build an investment, or what should you look for if you're going to be investing passively? What should you look for in an investment 
that is going to prioritize stability. And if I wasn't going to do that, what are some of the other kinds of investments I might be looking at that would prioritize uh, cash or some of the other uh, pieces that go with that? So, um, so let's first talk about why uh, how multifamily is just naturally stable, right? So whether you're going to invest in a multifamily investment that has the potential for a lot more movement or that is optimally uh, stable, uh, they all have the same basic components. And part of that has to do just with the nature of real estate. Real estate is the ultimate subscription revenue model. So if, if you give the thought to one of the things that has occurred in the marketplace over the last, I don't know, I was thinking about it this morning, 10 years, 15 years, um, it's certainly it's something that I have seen in, in my lifetime in a significant way, and that is the growth in subscription services, the notion that instead of paying for a product, or a service periodically that the providers of those products or services instead want to build recurring revenue, stable revenue. The more stable that revenue is, the more they have flexibility in terms of how they manage their business. And so, for example, instead of going to the store and buying razor blades, whenever you get to a point that you need some new razor blades, you can sign up for a subscription service, and they show up on your doorstep every six weeks or whatever it, it is. I don't use a subscription service for razor blades, but that's a model that's out there. Um, another uh, that's out there, and I happen, I, I actually happen to use this one, is um, you can go get your car washed, right? So you can take your car to the car wash and get it washed and pay for that car wash, or you can sign up for a monthly subscription. You pay a fee every month, and now you can get your car washed as often as you would like to get it washed. Whenever it's dirty, you just take it in and get it taken care of. The individual that owns that car wash, right, the investor that's behind all of that, now benefits from a stable revenue that's coming in that they know every period, month, quarter, year, they have a certain amount of revenue that's kind of baked into the books, and that's really valuable. Well, what's real estate? Real estate is the ultimate subscription service, right? So if you look at multifamily and industrial and some of the others, with one exception that I'll talk about here in a moment, you're talking about subscription models, and that makes it inherently stable. Um, so let's talk about some of the different types and why multifamily is, is one of the more stable uh, and we'll start by talking about the other component of real estate that I think is really stable, and that's industrial. Happens to be a space that uh, Bill and I have a lot of experience in ourselves. And there's a number of things that make industrial really stable. And by industrial, we mean uh, infrastructure, uh, distribution, so warehouses, those uh, types of investments. Um, they, they tend to have extremely long-term leases. So these aren't five-year leases. These could be 10, 15, 20, even 30-year uh, leases. Um, they are structured in such a way where uh, the risk is pushed off on the tenant, right? So these are triple-net properties almost always. Uh, so the tenant's really paying all the expenses uh, that go along with it. 
essentially, I'm, I'm, if I'm investing in an industrial, I'm playing the bank, right? I'm buying the property, uh, I'm financing it, and then I'm charging the tenant uh, a rent, and that rent covers my um, mortgage payment and leaves a little left over for me. And that's essentially the business model. Very, very stable. Now, remember, stable means not a lot of movement. So that also means over periods of time, industrials are going to grow in value the least, right? Because you're not growing NOI in any significant way. Now, they could go up in value because there's greater interest in industrials, right? If there's turmoil in the marketplace and people are looking for safety and security, then the cap rates or the dollars that people are willing to pay for a a dollar of NOI, a dollar of industrial NOI, that that could change and make them more valuable. But just from pure NOI growth, you're not going to have a lot of it, i.e. they're going to be really stable. So that's industrials. Um, Office, retail, generally, again, longer-term leases, right? Five-year leases typically in that kind of space. Now, both of those have actually been uh, disrupted quite a bit uh, by this particular uh, recession, uh, in particular because of the uh, the nature of how, uh, as a society, we've responded to uh, to COVID uh, with um, with uh, restrictions on those kinds of businesses and the change in the work lifestyle. Right, of more people working at home, there there's not as much a need for office space and some. Uh, pullbacks there. But both of those are have a very stable component. But one does not. And the one that does not is hospitality. And the reason for that is not that it was affected by the pandemic. It was, but that's not the reason hospitality is less stable or has more movement than multifamily. It's because it's not long-term in nature. Uh, you don't go to a hotel and sign a lease for a year. There are hotels like that, right? There are living uh, uh, hotels, right, where you can uh, get a long-term extended stay kind of uh, lease set up. But even those are typically more in the nature of a month or two, uh, whereas the typical stay is a, a couple of nights, a weekend, maybe a week, something like that. And what that does is that puts a lot of pressure on one of the elements, one of the levers that you can use to drive stability in a multifamily investment, and that is renewals. So let's think about the nature of this subscription model. Uh, We have a 100-unit property. We have 100 leases. We're just going to assume that it's full. makes the math easy for this conversation. Um, Now, if at the end of the year, and everybody signs a one-year lease, so that's very, very typical in the industry. There are certainly leases of other lengths available, but the vast majority, I I would hazard a guess it's 90% plus in the industry, uh, tenants are on one-year leases. So uh, at the end of a year, I've got 100 new tenants I have to go find, right? And that's if my renewal rate is zero. So that right there puts some instability, right? It puts some movement into my model because that means I could have some fluctuations in my net operating income and I have the I have some risk, right? There's some risk there that I either 
don't get 100 so I don't get my property filled back up. Or in order to get those 100, I have to change my finances. Maybe I have to lower my rents. It also means that I have 100 leases renewing that are going to be brand new leases. And I can put those lease rates wherever I want. I could raise them 20%. And that tenant isn't experiencing a 20% increase because they're a new tenant, right? So if my renewal rate is zero, I have less stability. I have more movement, again, within the realm of, of multifamily. So again, a very stable place to start with. But within that, I have relatively more movement and relatively less stability. Not necessarily a bad thing, right? So it gives me a chance to really move the rents significantly. So there can be multifamily investments where that's actually part of the model. It is an intention to have an extremely low renewal rate for some period of time, maybe for the first year or two. And it's the idea is to most likely in that environment make a lot of improvements to the asset and the realization that existing tenants aren't going to pay 30% more or 40% more to stay. They're going to move to another property that's very similar to what they're living in right now. Whereas an existing tenant might stay and pay 10% more or 15% more uh, for an improved uh, unit. That's a possibility. So if you're looking to do that and drive value over a very short period of time, you're going to trade off some of that stability in return for getting a higher equity growth or a higher uh, cash return in the short term. If you went to the other extreme and said, well, let's renew everyone. You know, I want complete stability. I don't ever want a vacant unit. Um, realistically, not going to happen, right? Because tenants move for lots of reasons, not just the nature of the financial relationship. They might move out because they bought a home, as an example. Um, but let's say you could renew everyone. So if you did renew everyone, you'd have a lot of stability in that environment. But again, it might come at a cost, right? You might need to trade off some rents or give some other incentives to have that kind of a renewal rate. And you'd be giving up any upside from being able to raise rents in some significant way. For example, you buy a property and maybe 20 of the units are paying $100 below market. Well, it's hard to move someone's rent $100 and then move it the amount you normally want to move it to keep pace with the market. In those instances, if those tenants leave, it's easier to simply then replace that tenant with someone that is at market. So um, from that standpoint, having a little uh, having some renewals and then having some vacant units that you can put on the market as new is actually healthy. And that's really what we think the optimum mix is. If you want to maximize the stability of a multifamily investment, and this is this is what we do. This is the way Mara Polling invests. We, we think security and stability are the foundation upon which the rest of the return uh, can be optimized, but that these really are the priorities. And the way we invest in order to prioritize stability is to look to do so with about a 50% renewal rate. This gives us the ability to, uh, to move rents uh, and manage them relative to the market that keeps us in line with the market. And yet, it means that we only have 50 
leases a year, in the example I'm using here, that need to be acquired that are, that are new. But half of the property is just going to continue on. And we've got some flexibility to work with those tenants if we needed to, as we did this last year as an example, in the midst of the recession, in order to keep those renewals um, healthy. If we're going to move off of 50%, I would move towards 60 or 70. And I think that's probably the healthy range that we have experienced in our uh, situation is somewhere between 50 and maybe 70%. So half to two-thirds, something like that. Um, anything less than half is getting more aggressive. There's going to be less stability and more movement, uh, which if it's a, a rehab kind of property, not a value add, but a rehab property, that could make a lot of sense. Uh, and conversely, if it's a momentum property, there's no value add to be done. It really is just seeing the rents move on a sta stable basis, 2 3% a year, then a higher renewal might make sense, you know, 70 80%. You're not going to have 100% renewals. Uh, that's, that's not a reality in the, uh, uh, in the marketplace simply because tenants, as I said, move for lots of, uh, of different reasons. So uh, security and stability, foundational. We think that's the right place to start. Next week, we're going to talk about cash flow, income generation. Uh, probably the number one item when I talk to prospective investors, people that are looking at, at multifamily, is how much cash flow do you think I can get? And upon further discussion, it often isn't the priority for that individual, but it can often be the, the jumping off point. Uh, to be able to evaluate an investment. Um, and I'm hopeful that these five elements we're laying out will actually give you a way to score an investment uh, on all fronts, not just on cash. But next week, we're going to talk about how to make cash the priority and then optimize the rest of the components in the total return. But what do you do if you really want to make cash king from that standpoint? And then the week after that, we'll be talking about equity growth or wealth creation, and we're going to round everything out uh, at the end of this series with a discussion on tax advantages, uh, which uh, we're getting ready to issue K-1s for uh, uh, 2020, so that'll be very timely to do that. As I said at the top of the uh, session here, please feel free to uh, shoot me an email if you have questions, that's pat at marapolling.com. Swing by uh, the Learning Center at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Go to the webinar section, and you'll be able to register for the Recovery 2021, which will be on uh, Wednesday, um, I believe it's a Wednesday, on the 31st, uh, whatever day the 31st is. I think that's a Wednesday. Uh, and... Um, Please register if you aren't ultimately able to participate. Don't worry about it. By registering, you'll get a copy of the slide deck and a copy of the recording. And you get that a little faster than it goes up uh, on, the, uh, on the website. So uh, all good reasons to, um, to register. Thanks again. Please join me next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.